Hi, uh, this is the Responsible Entrepreneur Podcast, and I'm very excited to have with me today, Neil Bloomquist. The exciting thing about Neil for me is the Regenerative Business Summit and the jury just honored him for the work that he and he'll let us tell about his team have done in the stream we call sheltering. Sheltering basically means that you're thinking about everything is alive and how it has to be cared for as it transitions through its life. So we're very excited to have Neil and I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and give us just a little bit of background on the business so we can get grounded in what is it that you do. Thank you, Carol, for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here and share what I can to um, tell the uh, audience about natural habitats and about myself and how I got involved with uh, natural habitats. And the company um, got started out of a dream. Um, the founder is Dutch, has been a very successful entrepreneur in Europe. His wife is Ecuadorian and grew up in the agricultural community in Ecuador. And after uh, the founder, Alphonse van der Rohe, um, sold a previous company um, and started looking at his next venture, his wife had a big influence on him. And mm. the uh, um, beginnings were really about trying to look at um, an underdeveloped area of the supply chain for the organic um, products. Um, and this was certainly one of them. Um, at the time, there were only two other suppliers in the world that were um, providing organic palm oil uh, for what is now a growing supply chain and a growing demand for organic palm to replace trans fats in the market and to provide uh, an option to other hard fats for various kinds of food products. And what most people don't know is that about 50% of the products that we either consume or use in our daily lives have palm in them. Mm -hmm. And there, have been, there has been a lot of negative publicity about conflict palm out of Asia for the right reasons, because uh, what goes on in Asia for farming practices with clear cutting of rainforest um, and a lot of practices around how local communities are not nurtured. In fact, the opposite. Um, there has been a movement to try to stop that with, uh, um, you know, both consumers and, and brands pushing back. But what hasn't been told is the story about how palm oil can be done properly. And if it is done properly, how sustainable sustainable it is. And that's really how I got involved in it because I spent 16 years running uh, a very pioneering company in, in the organic community called Spectrum Organic Products. We spent a, a focus for 16 years as a company, um, literally pioneer, pioneering the supply chain for organic oils and fats. <clears throat> so I got a chance to really dig deeply in understanding fats and oils from a nutritional perspective from a biological perspective, um, from um, a supply chain and farming perspective. And in early 2002, um, as CEO of Spectrum, we introduced the first organic palm oil into the U.S. market. Mm. And it gave me a chance to um, go to South America. At the time, um, it was a Colombia-based uh, supply chain see what was going on with the farms, uh, see what was going on at the processing level, um, started to learn about what this strange oil was that came out of the mill in almost a bright red color. Um, <laughs> and just a fascinating area of the whole fats and oils business that I had been so deeply connected to for all those years. 
personally, I have a, a, a lifestyle that's connected to this. I've spent over 42 years um, committed to um, the organic product industry, helping farmers, um, helping bring the message to consumers, helping brands market to be able to appeal to more of the mainstream um, America to look at organic as not just um, uh, a source for healthier food, but also what organic does from the, the, the farmer through the supply chain. So uh, I would say that the experience with natural habitats now for almost four years um, in overseeing their U.S. business, and I'm involved internationally with the company. I'm on their board of directors. I've invested personally in the company because uh, I really believe in its mission. Um, it's it's kind of uh, taking the years that I've had doing what I've done and, and really reaching a pinnacle of, of experience and really taking that and helping um, bring this message about sustainable palm oil to um, all the way to the consumer ultimately so that they see this other side of if it's done right, how palm oil can be so sustainable. Great. Let me ask you a couple of questions in here. The uh, question that um, most intrigues me now as I listen to your history is uh, I wonder how long you have been thinking this way. If I go back and, you know, if you were to think about a story when you were younger, and it could be everywhere from a kid to a teenager, but there was something that you would have known you were going to be accomplishing all this or at least pursuing all of this early. Uh-huh. you have a yeah. young story you could tell us about you? Yeah, I certainly do. I, I, I definitely am very um, conscious of my connection and how it all began. Uh, I grew up in um, northeastern South Dakota. Um, I'm a third-generation Scandinavian. My great-grandparents came from Sweden and established a homestead um, outside the town I grew up in, and I worked on that farm. My father grew up on the farm. Um, We had other relatives that had farms, and I spent my youth working on these family farms. And it gave me, you know, not having to grow up daily milking the cows and stuff, it gave me enough of a connection with um, the local farming community through my relatives and through the community at large, because there's so much um, based on local agriculture there. Um, When I left um, and went to college, it was during the uh, uh, late sixties and early seventies when um, as a youth, the influence from um, the larger world around change was very, very deeply connected with uh, me as a college student. And when I got, a, got out of college, which was in 1973, I s- started to look at alternatives for myself as I started to learn more and more about uh, um, global change in the agricultural community and um, large corporate farms and the impact that it was having on our supply chain and our food chain. And, you know, I grew up with really strong uh, food values um, with a huge garden that um, we had and that my grandparents had who lived right next door to us. And we ate either wild game that we um, uh, caught or or, um, harvested ourselves uh, or animals that came from the farm. And when I started started to see what the rest of the world was doing and where it was going, it became really clear to me that this is an area that I really wanted to, to spend my life. And by 1975, um, 
after meeting my wife, who uh, I'm still with, um, we connected on a lot of levels. One of them was around um, this whole concept of, of um, what was going on in the agricultural community and, and better nutrition through um, traditional approaches to eating, et cetera, less processed foods. Um, we opened up a natural food store in Montana, one of the first in the state. Crazy place to do it, but that's where we were living. <laughs> and we spent 10 years um, in the community of Kalispell, Montana, um, marketing and trying to change people's lives around um, how to eat better. And we did a lot of work with local farmers. We helped start local farmers to um, have a place for them to sell their product. We um, worked with some other stores in the state to help develop a supply chain for organic wheat farmers in eastern Montana. Um, it just became more and more clear to me that this was my life's path. Mm. Um, and after 10 years of, of um, slugging it out as a retailer in a small community, um, my wife and I and our two children pulled up stakes, moved to the Bay Area, where at that time it was kind of the epicenter for the natural product industry and for organic companies. Um, and it was also a place we both um, really enjoyed um, visiting friends while we were living in Montana, especially when um, it was winter time and it was starting to turn from white to uh, gray and black during the spring. <laughs> so we'd always go to the Bay Area to, to visit yeah. friends. So we ended up moving here in 1985 and I spent the next four years working for a Bay Area natural food distributor, which kind of helped me leapfrog from being a retailer to really understanding a larger distribution system and mm -hmm. um, really got to interact with a larger community of retailers. And by late, uh, the late eight, uh, 1989, um, I was recruited by then a very small company called Spectrum that was doing some pioneering work in oils and fats. And I was um, hired as the, their first director of sales and marketing. And it gave me a chance to really take all of my passion and turn it into building a brand. And by 1994, I'd taken it from 4 million to 12 million in revenue. And the um, founder basically turned the keys over and said, you're better at this than I am. You run it. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons I founded the summit, I've been at this a long time like you, and I've worked with transforming a lot of companies so that they had social and planetary imperatives, which I felt like fit more with the wholeness of what humans can do and the role they can play nested in a planetary system rather than the dominators of. The summit itself was designed to help move the conversation beyond sustainability, which is important, but it still continues to mostly focus on doing less harm into regeneration. And I don't know how much you're connected with what I've been doing for 40 years and the team of people who are hanging out with me, but we're looking at this prize that we wanted to honor you with because even though the language may not be the same, we felt like there was a move toward this idea of regeneration from sustainability through doing to regeneration. And we define it as having a path of people first get intention. They feel like they need to do more. They've done great things, almost all of them, just like you. They've done amazing things, but they're wanting to move into something that works more from the essence of an actual watershed, or I call them life shed, or a product, or something that is treating it more as a whole and developing its capacity and doing that for a business also. I'd like to hear just what, as you think about particularly natural habitats, since that was who was honored, 
where you would say the intention is for its next movement, what it's thinking about and going forward. Can, is that articulatable in a little bit of a way? Yes, it certainly is. <clears throat> um, you know, the company is still relatively young, growing fast, um, in need of more capital. Uh, there's a lot of um, initiatives, I would say, that are um, on our um, priority list, both internally and externally. Um, I would say internally, we're really trying to take now um, what we have um, put out there as our mission and, and, and vision and values as a company. Um, we want to really develop those more intensely within the organization. So, you know, a lot of what I hope to be able to do with my getting involved with you and, and with this summit is to take some of the things that I learned back to my team and help implement some of the things that are, are on our priority list to um, really keep our, our people engaged and keep the productivity, at, you know, very high from the, you know, executive level all the way down to the bottom. Um, so tell me a little bit more about what natural, I mean, I had no idea that it had that uh, broad a platform. That's quite amazing. So it must be producing some things in the world and it's, you know, outward facing in the same way you're doing with Spectrum, creating a market. Tell me something about what you see it having produced and the effects of that. I mean, I'm excited about what palm oil did, an organic palm oil. I worked with seventh generation Jeffrey Hollander for years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I know that whole story, yeah. uh, but I don't know what natural habitats is about to create or is creating or has created that could have similar kinds of effects on very broad scale questions and issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, that for me, the, probably the two biggest things that this company is accomplishing is it's proving that if you um, do palm oil right, and we even, you know, have this website and whole movement we call Palm Done Right, which was, you know, kind of my brainchild after getting involved in this and seeing um, what needed to be done to, to shift the conversation out there about conflict palm. Um, it's proving that if you um, do it properly, it nourishes communities, it helps underdeveloped people in these countries. Tell us a story. Give me a story about what it's doing. So well, we can here's, here's a good example. The, the, there's two um, ways that the social communities are um, benefiting. You know, one is in general, the, the farmers are um, breathing cleaner air, not spraying chemicals on themselves and, and on their crops. Um, so it's impacting their, their local ecosystem in a very positive way through um, organic and regenerative agricultural practices. But it also pays a premium over conventional. So they get paid a premium for the fact that it's grown organically and natural habitats actually pays them uh, a subsidy transition from conventional to organic, pays for their certification. There's a lot of support systems to help these farmers convert from conventional to organic. There's also a premium through the Fair for Life Fair Trade program that brings a percentage of everything that we sell back to the community. And there is a, a group that um, consists of workers from the facility where we press the oil, the farmers, and local community people who decide what to do with that money. They have rebuilt a church that got destroyed during the earthquake last year. Mm -hmm. They've built some homes for some really destitute people. Um, there has been um, 
a lot of stuff done with the local schools. These are small communities where um, most of the kids don't make it through high school because they end up, you know, in trouble um, and they end up working instead of um, going to school because there's not enough money to put food on their, their plates. So there's been a lot of work done to improve the schools there. There's been a soccer program started that was all funded through this. Natural Habitats has a full-time administrative support person for one of the local schools. Really solid um, things. And this is, for me, what really um, connected me with, with the work that's being done um, because it, it is doing some really good stuff that's transforming these local communities. And it's really showing that palm oil, if it's done right, is actually more sustainable than any other um, oil. And people don't understand that. The yield per acre is higher. The um, harvesting occurs year round. You plant a tree and it, it, it produces fruit for 30 some years. Right. You don't have to plant and replant and cultivate. So it's got a lower carbon footprint. And if you're really practicing um, regenerative agriculture in a way that creates um, a, an ability for the for the farms to actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere instead of doing what it's doing in, in Asia, where it's spewing carbon into the atmosphere. So there's a really great story here that's yeah. not told. And when Spectrum was sold in 2016, we'd only been into the whole palm oil project for a couple of years. And I had all these ideas in my head that I couldn't do because the company got sold. And, you know, I had a three-year non-compete. I couldn't get into the market any for, for those three years, which, you know, I had plenty to do and, and kept myself busy doing other things in, in the organic industry. But I always had these things in my head I wanted to take to the next level. Now I get a chance to do it. That's really exciting. To wow, me. that is exciting. Um, what is it that um, you struggle with or are challenged by, and how do you work on that? I mean, that, I tell people, give me questions you'd like me to ask these amazing entrepreneurs. And they said, well, I run into roadblocks all the time. And I'm always curious, well, when they run into things, we call it restraints, how is it that they work on that? What, what do they use as the way they work through? You got any stories like that? Yeah, I sure do. I've got sure plenty of them. <laughs> give me one. We've only got a little while. Okay. Well, I think probably one of the biggest challenges, especially with the international footprint we have, is is trying to to get the business culture of um, countries like Ecuador and Sierra Leone to understand what is required to meet the demands and needs of a um, distribution system that deals with a developed country like um, North America, U.S. and Canada, and Europe, which is our other market. Um, you know, those demands um, and how people do business in the culture is so different. And, you know, it, there's a, um, I guess, a saying in Ecuador, it's, you know, hasta mañana. I mean, it's, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Um, and, you know, getting that, that culture to understand the need to be proactive and to be able to be responsive and um, care for the customers in a way that they're not used to is a big challenge. Um, you know, we have constant challenges with delays in shipments and delays in production. Um, you know, we have uh, um, had to shut down um, the plant uh, at times because we've had problems with uh, um, some of the farmers not following 
all of the necessary requirements to do what they're supposed to be doing as an organic producer. I mean, these are the, the kind of... Well, and, and how do you, how in the world do you manage that? Because you have to keep running a business. <laughs> you know, what would yeah. you say is the key in your entrepreneurship mind to yeah. being able to survive all that and do yeah. more than that? Well, I would say it's like parenting, really. Wow. <laughs> you know, I've, I've parented, I have two children, I have four grandchildren. And, you know, it's a um, sometimes tough love. Um, you know, we have, a, um, I think, a very um, transparent approach to how we um, deal with our stakeholders from the farmer all the way through. Um, and, you know, it's um, being open and honest and sometimes, you know, having to play hardball, tough love to be able to, to get change to happen. You know, we've had to cut farmers off, literally, because they haven't followed the rules. Um, We've had to, um, you know, do things like um, impose um, restrictions or fines on on a co-packer or a co-processor because they didn't meet a specification. Um, you know, those are kind of the things that. that so you're, you're talking about having really clear guidelines about what's going to be required and holding people to that. Yeah, exactly. And and I I would say too, if if we look back at the the evolution of of how we've developed to this point there's a lot more investment in infrastructure that we've had to make with our own people to accomplish what we need. So say a little more about that, because I think often people have an idea that you can just go in and say, here, do this, but without building what it takes. How do you build that? What's that look like? Well, here's a good example. We have four active agronomists on the ground in Ecuador, and those agronomists are out in the field every day with the farmers. And I, I don't think we would have imagined that we would have needed to go to that extent. Um, but it, it became a necessity to really support the farmers to accomplish the objective that we had, the conversion to organic, um, things that we're trying to do with intercropping <clears throat> within those farms where they can plant other crops. It's, it's changing their habits that takes a lot of time and attention. Um, you know, we've got two full-time people that oversee our sustainability programs. We've got so much certification requirements throughout our supply chain from organic to the Fair for Life Fair Trade program, the um, what's called RSPO, or Responsible Palm Oil Initiatives out of, out of Asia. We're part of that group. Um, we're now um, Rainforest Alliance certified. Um, there's constant certification processes going on between our two producing countries. So, you know, it takes a lot of personnel and a lot of attention and time compared to a normal supplier that, you know, is just packing, producing, buying palm from the farmers or whatever and sending it through the supply chain. It's much more complex and, you know, it's part of what creates a higher price as well. And, and but what can you, what do you feel like you may be able to create in the world as a result of, there's a lot of rigor in what you just described. Yeah. Why bother to do that? What can you create in the world as a result of that additional effort you're putting in? Well, my hope is that ultimately it will impact the um, conflict palm that's grown in Asia. If we can hit them in the pocketbook and show that consumers are willing to pay and brands are willing to say, no, we won't buy palm that's destroying rainforest and hurting people's lives. There is an alternative. If we can show them that, that's going to make more change in the world more quickly than anything else. That's my highest hope is that we have that kind of impact.
Great. Wow. Well, that's wonderful. This is just great talking to you, Neil. I've been talking with Neil Bloomquist, Natural Habitats, who also was the CEO and I guess the person who sold Spectrum Organics, which is a favorite product of mine. But I know people are going to want to know more. We've only scratched the surface. How can they find you? Do you have a website? Natural Habitats have one? Give us a little Yes. Uh, actually, we just... Um upgraded the natural habitats website so it's very easy to find um, natural-habitats.com more set up as a business to business website but it's got a lot of really good information about the company who may want to dig deeper um, we also have uh, um, I think profiles of our um, founder and uh, others that were part of the our part of the executive team myself included um, we also have a um, second website that we've created um, called palmdunright.com. Very simple. Um, it, it is um, what we uh, foresee as developing into um, its own separate movement. Um, I would um, hope in the future that there is a desire on the part of other companies to join in that movement. And at that point, we would look at turning it into um, an NGO um, so that it's a standalone separate entity, but uh, Natural Habitats to date has funded it. Um, we have now on that website a number of companies who are partnering in the movement who are using um, palm oil from this supply, supply chain. Um, so they're participating. We're working together with them with social media and other promotion programs to bring this message to the consumer. Uh, we're starting to reach out to retailers now. Um, retailers are what I call the gatekeepers to the consumer who comes in and is hungry for information. So we're educating them and giving them tools to be able to spread this message about Palm Done Right. That's great. Well, you're very inspiring to talk to, and I'm looking forward to chatting a bit more at the summit. And again, congratulations. It was so great to hear what the judges were saying as they read your nomination and how happy they were to be able to honor you for the sheltering stream. So we'll see you soon and thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Carol.